Everybody comfortable? Yeah. Get your ass up when I'm talking. Hey, take it easy. It's showtime. It's showtime. Yeah. Feel the magic and soul of the YBs. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Take two. That Davis Show, and we are lucky enough to be joined by RJ Achoa, manager and editor of uh, Blogging the Boys. I apologize. Blogging the Boys. Follow him at RJ Achoa. How are you doing today, RJ? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. Uh, football's here, uh, and we've been waiting a long time for it, so it's nice to kind of have things be normal. But the, uh, all right, is it normal, though? As, a, as someone who follows the Cowboys, and I'm sure that you perhaps have Cowboy fandom in your heart, when, I mean, you went through last year, I was watching the game when Dak got the compound fracture. I I was literally saying, go down, Dak, go down, because he had broken two tackles, was going for a third, and you start to hear about the shoulder and now him getting another MRI. How does that feel for, I guess, the Cowboy fandom and for you? It does feel normal uh, just because there's, there's <laughs> always there's always a reason to be on alert. There's always a reason to be panic to be nauseous i mean so in that sense that really does feel normal um it also feels normal in that um you know it, it does feel like like everything's all going to be okay with that it feels i know the, the report of the second mri freaked a lot of people out but it, it is just kind of a confirmation thing um and so it's normal that you know the world is freaking out about something that might not necessarily be a bigger deal but that's just kind of the way it goes and so uh, it's par for the course. So it's kind of nice to see that nothing changed uh, and that football season is, is, is as we've always known it to be. So is, is, has that become part of the funness of being a, a Cowboys fan? Like just just in general, you never know what can happen. You know what I'm saying? Even if the team necessarily isn't winning, you never know what can happen when you're a Cowboys fan. Yeah, something I'd say all the time is, um, you know, you're never going to be doing your Christmas shopping. Like you're never going to be that late into the season and have them be out of it. Like they, they will never be the team that, you know, last year was really bad, obviously, but they were still alive. Right? They, they were still mathematically alive and they were still uh, an interesting story. Now, granted they um, around Christmas time, they were flexed off of prime time for the first time ever. Um, and so they did lose a little bit of interest, but some of that's just, you know, nobody's getting, you know, nobody's pumped to watch Andy Dalton on Sunday night football. Um, but, but it is really normal um, to have them just be at the center of attention. And this year is actually a little bit more unique in that sense. I can't think of a year where the team, where, where at least one team played in both the Pro Football Hall of Fame game and the season kickoff game. The Cowboys obviously last week in the Hall of Fame game and then week one uh, at Tampa on that Thursday night. And they're on hard knocks. So they are just like at the center of the NFL's attention right now, beyond the fact that they're already the Dallas Cowboys. So there is this heightened attention. Uh, they've been in California, which is, you know, just adds to it. They're one of the only teams to travel and go somewhere else for training camp. And so uh, it is very normal, to be honest, uh, to have them kind of be dominating the stories and, and just be, you know, the thing and the place that everybody wants to talk about. Now, listen, I, I like to have this little saying where I say I put on my GM cap and I, I love what Dak Prescott has done with his career. Um, I think he should have been paid years ago. But really, to be honest with you, when it got to that situation last year, I probably would have paid Dak. I probably would have went out and tried to give me a rookie quarterback because there's so much money that the Cowboys are already spending at other positions. So if you were the GM 
is it a situation where you know what we're close? Dax the engine because I clearly he's the uh, he's the, the leader. You saw what he did at the beginning of last year when he had to bring your that team back at the beginning of the season. But would you have just been like we're close? I'm sticking with Dak, or would you have thrown caution to the wind and looked at it as perhaps you may help your team a little bit if you get a rookie quarterback in there and don't have to pay that quarterback that big contract that Dak just received? I think it's about more than being close. I think that Dak is what makes them close. You know, mm-hmm. without Dak, they're they're not even anywhere close to being close. And so, um, you know, we've been singing and, and championing Dak's cause, you know, and, and praises for for a long time now. And two years ago, when he was first eligible, we talked about, look, they've got to get this done. It's it's if they if they wait, if they drag their feet, they're just going to end up paying more money. They're going to pay all the money with the franchise tag, et cetera. And it's, you know, and good for Dak. I mean, like at the end of the day, I want, and, I'm, and we all want to see every NFL player get as much money as they possibly can while they can. Definitely. So good for Dak that financially he ultimately benefited from this, but this was really poorly handled from the team standpoint. I mean, they, they paid him a substantially larger amount of money than they would have had to if they had just had some foresight, kind of like, I mean, like a lot of teams did, like pe- people bag on teams that miss on the quarterback contracts, but the Rams are not worse off for paying Jared Goff. The Eagles are not worse off for paying Carson Wentz. Those things would have been wise if they had paid off. And that's why I think the Bills are smart for paying Josh Allen. Uh, and why the Ravens and Browns are going about this poorly for not paying Lamar Jackson or Baker Mayfield. Um, it's it's football. It's American football. You have to. You, it's not a debate. You have to have this piece. Um, you know, I fall into a category where, you know that believes Dak is a top five quarterback. And a lot of people look at last year and say he was on pace for 6,000 yards and 60 touchdowns. That was never going to happen. That was, you know, I, I don't believe that that was going to happen. I think that things, even if he hadn't gotten hurt, would have regressed, would have gotten closer to the mean. Uh, but he is, he has evolved. And um, you don't pay a guy specifically to be your leader, but he, like, I, I, that's why I really enjoyed the first episode of Hard Knocks because I think people get to see he is people hear the term and the phrase like he's a leader or whatever. And they just kind of think of it the way they, they think of football, but he is truly the face of the franchise. I mean, he is the absolute unquestioned leader in a way that nobody really has been in a long time. These Cowboys have had a lot of, you know, dominant figures lead their team and a lot of veterans who have done a lot of things. Jason Witten's going to be a hall of famer. DeMarcus Ware is going to be a hall of famer. All these guys have had different points of leadership within their team. But nobody has come anywhere close to the way that Dak holds that. I mean, Tony Romo didn't have that as much as I love him. Dak is truly unique in that sense. Um, And so I do think that there would have been a a sense of, um, you know, a a sense of not breaking. But, but, you know, there would have been a lot of upset people within the locker room, within the franchise if they hadn't paid Dak. So I think all those factors considered, um, including the one that he is a top five quarterback, lead, you know, lead you to realizing the path of least resistance is just to pay him. Let me ask you this real quick. Is or will Dak Prescott become a better quarterback than Joe, Tony Romo was? I think he is. Um, I, I think he is if you look at the like the mean of Tony Romo's career. And that's what's so unfair for Dak sometimes, or what, what used to be unfair. Um, so I've written about this before. The, the way that people remember Tony Romo was in 2014 when he was incredible. That was Romo at the peak of his powers. He'd finally understood the game at a mental level um, and, and, you know, was, was doing things at the line of scrimmage that we've seen elite quarterbacks do over time. He played four games in 2015 and, you know, didn't finish two of them. And then he retired, obviously, because he missed all of them. He didn't miss 2016, but he didn't play because Dak did. Then he retired. And so the last version of, of Romo that people remember 
is the greatest version of who he was, you know? And so that's, that's where everybody goes to in their mind. And that, you know, he evolved to that, but it took a long time for Roma to get there. And he was still a really fine quarterback, but um, I, you know, he became an incredible passer. Like I said, he, be, he became so well-versed in kind of the intricacies of the game. And Dak is getting there. Dak is obviously a mobile quarterback, and we'll see how far he takes that this year, you know, whether he pumps the brakes on things. Because he spoke about that when he got his big contract, about how he realizes there's a huge financial commitment to him within the organization. But, I, I mean, if you value leadership, if you value locker room culture, he has that in spades, you know, over Romo. I mean, that part of, of the conversation is, is already done and slammed shut. Um, and so, you know, is he a better quarterback today than Romo was in 2014? Probably not, but he's certainly well on pace to get there. And like football's not about the people make it about wins and in comparing them. You know, I think I think the Cowboys are going to win the NFC East and be in position to win a playoff game. The next playoff game that Dak Prescott wins, whenever that happens, will tie him with Tony Romo for playoff wins as the Cowboys starting quarterback. So um, he's got a long way to go, and I do think he'll um, he'll ultimately write his name on a lot of records that Tony Romo has at the moment. That Davis show right now, I have RJ Choa, manager and editor in chief of Blogging the Boys. Follow him at RJ Choa. Let's switch to defense real quick. You guys switched out your defensive coordinator and your scheme. Is that enough with Dan Quinn coming? Because there's talent there, but is it their their right assembly of talent, particularly with going to a four three? Do you think this defense will be okay? Because really, with that offense, all you really need is a situational defense. You don't need it to be a lockdown defense. You just need it to bend but don't break. Yeah, I, I, I've been impressed so far. Um, and the bar to be impressed is not high, to be clear. Um, but I've been impressed with Dan Quinn. He's, he's been such a great teacher, which is something that the Cowboys have really struggled to find on the defensive side of the ball. Um, three years ago in 2018, when their defense was, was somewhat successful, uh, that was Leighton Vanderish's rookie year. That was the best year the Cowboys have gotten out of Jalen Smith so far. They had Byron Jones playing cornerback for the first time. And, and Chris Richard was kind of their pseudo defensive coordinator, and he was very different than Dan Quinn. They both obviously come from from the Seattle Seahawks system, um, but he was very aggressive, um, and a lot of people like that. Like a lot of people would see him on the sidelines yelling and screaming, and people think like that's what makes a great coach. And um, Dan Quinn can certainly yell, but he is such a great teacher. That's that's the word that that just I feel represents him the most. He's such a great teacher with players before practice, during practice, after practice, how they use their leverage, how they use their weight, why they're attacking the way they're attacking. And I just, that's been an element that was really lacking from this team. Um, I do think that they have talent, you know, in terms of guys that, that are returning. I think Demarcus Lawrence is very talented. I think that Randy Gregory is very talented. I think Neville Gallimore is really talented. I think that there is talent within Leighton Vanderish and, and at times within Jalen Smith. Obviously, they've added Micah Parsons. And, I mean, the Cowboys, you know, they, they, people like to think that Jerry Jones is going to go sign, like, big, splashy free agents. That has not been who the Cowboys have been for a very long time. So all their free agent signings were these low-level kind of bargain bin guys. Yes, they signed Keanu Neal, but a lot of depth guys, which is what they need. And, I mean, you know, they spent their first six picks in the draft on the defensive side of the ball, first time in franchise history they've done that. And so they, they are deeper, and that's – that's where they've really been challenged in different seasons is, you know, it's not, it's not a game where all 11 of your starters are going to be healthy weeks one through 16 or now 17 uh, or 18, I guess. And so, I mean, you have to be prepared for that. And they seem more prepared now. Um, I also think, you know, to your point, it, it would be difficult for them to be that bad again. Like the, the law of averages is working in their favor. That's not something you can rely on. 
Um, but, but I do think that they'll be, they'll be more sustainable. I think they'll generate more turnovers, you know, in the first four games of the season last year, which were the, the only four that Dak played start to finish the Cowboys offense started just two possessions on the positive side of the 50 yard line. The first mm. was in week one against the Los Angeles Rams after a Cheetah Bay Wuze interception. And the only other one was against the Atlanta Falcons after the onside kick that everybody saw. Outside of that, every possession they had started on their side of the field. And so you can have a great offense. You could have the best offense in the NFL. But if you're continually having to go 80 yards, 76 yards, 77 yards, 82 yards, I mean, at a certain point, it becomes impractical. And so I think that the defense will be better. You know, maybe they, I don't think they're going to be top 10, however you define that, or even top 15. But I think that they will create shorter fields. I think they'll get more turnovers. And I think that those things will be a rising tide that lifts all boats. I will say this. Um, it did benefit me having Dak as my starting quarterback on my fantasy team. All right, those yards that he was racking up at the beginning of last season. Yeah. All right, I will say that. But let me ask you this. Now, you have Kellen Moore's offensive coordinator. Now you have Dan Quinn as a defensive coordinator. What are your thoughts in the year plus of Mike McCarthy being the CEO of this football team as far as the players and the coaches? It's just such an interesting um, situation. I, you know, I don't even know if that's the right word. And I can't think of another one similar to, I mean, you could look at, I guess, any new head coach last year, maybe Matt Rule and Kevin Stefanski, obviously coaches who spent their first year with new teams during, during 2020. Um, but I also think, you know, the reason Mike McCarthy specifically was hired was because the Cowboys were viewed as a team that was ready to win now. I, I hate that term, but that, that is the general term. And that was why it was, it was Mike McCarthy over Matt Rule, over Lincoln Riley, over, over a younger coach that would have been a bit of a process to kind of get to where you want to be as a franchise. And so I think it's worth, you know, it's worth saying that his starting quarterback got hurt in week five. His right tackle missed every single game. His left tackle only played two games. His starting middle linebacker got hurt over and over and over again. Um, Football Outsiders has a metric called adjusted games lost due to injury. The Cowboys lost the second most games in the NFL uh, when it comes to injury, you know, players who were injured and didn't play in games, second most games in the NFL. And something like that does generally regress to the mean. You do generally see you know, teams that were at one end of the spectrum come back. Uh, the 49ers lost the most games. And so I think, you know, that we see that every year, like teams, you know, teams gravitate and people say like, well, where was this team last year? Well, they were hurt, you know, of the top 10 teams uh, who lost the fewest amount of games due to injuries. Nine of them made the playoffs. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers lost the fewest games in the NFL due to injuries last year. Mm-hmm. Now they're a talented team, obviously, but they also had some luck going their way and that, you know, less players or less games were lost due to injury than literally every other team in the NFL. I um, so he, I mean, he dealt with an enormous amount of injuries. I also think, you know, I've said this and, and people think I cape for McCarthy, but he literally sat out the entire 2019 season and put together a plan. I've never spent a year of my life planning anything, but I imagine if I did, that the moment I had to enact that plan, that I would I would follow the plan that I laid out over the course of an entire year. And to Mike McCarthy's defense, I suppose, I mean, like on day six, that completely changed with COVID happening and all the social distancing. So everything he spent an entire year planning was completely worthless in a lot of, lot of senses. Um, I, and I also, I hate to make, you know, to include this uh, because life is so much more important than football, 
But Mike McCarthy, you know, Ted Thompson passed away last year. Kevin Green passed away last year. Both people who he worked with closely when he was the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. The Cowboys dealt with a personal tragedy right before Thanksgiving. And so it was a, a, a year full of challenges in, in different ways and different circumstances. And so I, I don't. I don't think I can or anyone can properly evaluate Mike McCarthy and say, well, the guy's worthless. And he is, he is a really easy punching bag for people. It's, it's low hanging fruit to kind of pick on McCarthy for a lot of people. But even then, you know, pe- people are anointing Ron Rivera in Washington as this great coach who went through his own set of personal circumstances that, that far exceed anything related to football last year. And um, I'm a big fan of Ron Rivera, the person. But, you know, the, the Washington football team, just to use them as an example, won the division by one game over the Cowboys, despite all the funk the Cowboys dealt with. And so I just I don't view Mike McCarthy as being significantly behind, say, Ron Rivera or anything like that. I think that, you know, you could say this about a lot of teams, but with with everybody healthier, with everybody relatively healthy, I think that he has uh, an opportunity to impress. And I, I at least want to give him that opportunity, which I don't think he had last year. That's fair. I, I think that's fair. Now, outside of Dak, give me a couple of Cowboys that can make or break this season if they get hurt or don't perform up to snuff. You know, uh, Tyron Smith is probably the, the biggest one when it comes to health. The Cowboys starting left tackle. One of the best left tackles in the NFL when healthy, but that, that win has been such a question. Uh, he has Dak Prescott has never played an entire season with him, and that, that kind of surprises people sometimes, but he has not mm. played a full regular season since 2015. And that was a regular season with 16 games. Now we're adding a 17th one. Uh, the Cowboys, it, it is unfortunately most likely a matter of when and not if they will have to rely on, on one of their swing tackles. And right now they don't really have one that inspires a lot of confidence. And so if Tyron or Lyle Collins have to miss some time, suddenly the Cowboys offense is up a creek a little bit. Um, outside of that, I mean, any injury on offense is unideal, but there isn't one that is impossible to overcome. The Cowboys are really deep at wide receiver. They now have two tight ends who they obviously can work in and rotate in different ways. Zeke Elliott is obviously, or has been really special, but if he had to miss time, I don't think that that would really disrupt what they do offensively in, in a large, you know, sort of way that would be felt uh, defensively. I mean, if DeMarcus Lawrence had to miss time, he's the best player on that defense. And so, they would truly have no edge rush. And Micah Parsons, I think he's already that important. I think if he had to miss mm. time, um, the Cowboys would have to lean on Leighton Vander Esch and Jalen Smith. And that has been an idea that has not really gotten them anywhere over the course of the last two years. Mm. How do Cowboys fans generally feel, and this includes you, of course, about the team winning it all, getting back to the days of the triplets, or getting close to the days of the triplets? Um, it seems like the Cowboys have just been been stuck in a rut when it comes to getting to that top, top-tier level that they were during the first half of the 90s. Yeah, I mean, it's it's frustrating. Um, you know, like, I, I love the Hall of Fame weekend. It's, it's you know, and it's a lot of it's because it's, it's it signifies football coming back. Uh, but like this Hall of Fame weekend last week, you know, Peyton Manning goes into the NFL or, or the Hall of Fame. Right. And everybody acknowledges that he's set all these records. He's accomplished all these things. He played, you know, late into his career. He played for a very long time. People talk about him being old later in his career. He has already sat out the mandatory five years to the point that he can be enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. His entire career has happened in the drought that the Cowboys have been in. You know, I mean, Mm. Tom Brady's entire career has happened in this entire drought. I mean, you know, again, people make jokes all the time about how old Tom Brady is and how he's still playing and how this is this has gone on forever. 
that has literally encompassed the entire Cowboys draft. Uh, you know, there are only two teams that have not been to an NFC championship game um, in longer spells than the Cowboys currently. And that's, that's the Detroit Lions and the Washington football team. Not exactly a company that you want to keep uh, within the NFC. It's, you know, the, when the Cowboys won a, last won a Super Bowl, John Elway did not have a Super Bowl win of any kind. He obviously went on to have two, <laughs> two as a player. Um, yeah, that's that's my favorite one because he, he had two as a player. Uh, a he, he, he retired, was enshrined into the Hall of Fame, began a whole new career on the personnel side of the game, you know, elevated himself to the point of becoming a general manager and literally built his own team that won a Super Bowl, including a player that had a long career with the Cowboys into Marcus Ware. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, you know, there's a lot of jokes and, and there's a lot of fun to be had there, but it's frustrating. I mean, I'm 31 years old. Um, and so, you know, there's a whole generation of Cowboys fans that, that haven't experienced those types of things. And what gets frustrating is how valuable the franchise continues to be. They're the most mm. valuable, most visible, most seen, most coveted professional sports team in the world, which, you know, I love European soccer. The fact that they can outrank the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona and United and crazy. You know, now PSG, it is absurd. Um, mm. And so they, they are wildly entertaining and they have given me a lot of memories that I cherish, but um, it's just, it's unfortunate that they haven't done this or they haven't accomplished it. They've come close and some of the, some of the, their faults are not their own. Sometimes they've, they've had, you know, unfortunate circumstances, Des caught it. I mean, whatever, but there are a lot of you know, issues. That, <laughs> you got um, to sleep in there real quick. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Des caught it. I love, I love you know, it. but like, like I'm, I've said for years, like, I don't think they would have, they would have won that game. They probably would have won that NFC championship game, but they wouldn't have beaten the Patriots in the Super Bowl. I mean, so, um, but you know, that's the thing. Like they're, they just can't get over this hump and they just, they find the most creative and heartbreaking ways to ultimately um, kind of, kind of fall short. I mean, a number of talented players have passed through their organization whose careers that they've squandered. I mean, I mentioned DeMarcus Ware. We talked about Tony Romo, Jason Witten, uh, Tyron Smith is near the end of his career. Lyle Collins, maybe Travis Frederick already retired. I mean, a number Des Bryant, Des Bryant is the franchise leader in receiving touchdowns, played his entire career and never got to an NFC title game. I mean, the talent has been there. The materials have been there. They just haven't come close and it's frustrating. Listen, I've, I, I've never liked the, the, the tag America's team when it comes to the Cowboys, but Jimmy Johnson and the triplets, Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin and Emmett Smith, Dude, it was fantastic to watch as a youngster. All right. It was uh, it was beautiful. I don't even know if there's ever been a team with that much talent because you got to think about free agency. It just started and teams started to just take the depth out of that team. So we didn't even get to see, get to see some of the guys that were behind some of these players because of free agency, and how well Jimmy had built up that team. How do Cowboys fans feel about the disrespect that Jerry Jones has done to, to Jimmy as far as him just now getting in the ring of honor? And to me, Jimmy is the second most important cowboy behind Landry, I think. Like, it's Landry, then it's Jimmy, because that's that's the best cowboy era you have right there. And it just seems petty. That I can understand if you have a break, but you, you could get over and initially you can remember the good times and what this person helped you achieve. And it just seems like the Jerry should be above that. But I don't know what it is that they he, they he, the dislike seems intense. Yeah, I mean, I think most Cowboys, there isn't a Cowboys fan. You go to any 
anybody's home, any bar, any whatever. Uh, there isn't a Cowboys fan that takes Jerry's side against Jimmy. Um, and it's frustrating. And it's, it's frustrating to think about. We do a show at Blog and the Boys. Uh, I do a show with Tony Casillas, who won the first two Super Bowls with the Cowboys. And so he's always telling Jimmy stories on our network, and that's a lot of fun. Um, but you know, everybody talks about how unfortunate the breakup was and you know, it, it's a big thing. I mean, obviously. And so, um, it, it, I think thinking about it frustrates people because they realize that the guy was could have. I don't know that the they guy was four. three in a row. They or, four. Or, yeah, I mean, you, you, can play that. you can, they you can play four. that game and, and I understand that, but you know, you never know what happens, but yeah, the overwhelming likelihood is that they went four in a row. And that, that probably never gets touched. And that's really unfortunate. That's really frustrating. It's unfortunate that, you know, if, if they have four in a row, Troy Aikman is viewed differently. Emmett Smith is viewed differently. My, you know, all these legacies are viewed differently for all these players who were a part of it. Um, so it's frustrating. I think, you know, it's awesome that Jimmy Johnson's in the Hall of Fame. He had a unique career as far as, as, far as Hall of Fame coaches go. And it's, it's really nice to see him get his due. On the subject of the Ring, or, uh, Ring of Honor, though, I mean, something that, that I said on our podcast network last week is, it was great to see Jerry say that a week ago today. And I am very excited about Jimmy going into the ring of honor. But uh, first of all, when the Cowboys had their state of the union address, when they first got to Oxnard uh, about three weeks ago, now Jerry was asked specifically about Jimmy going into the hall of fame and whether he would go into the ring of honor. And Jerry specifically said, I don't want to talk about the ring of honor. I don't want to take away from Jimmy's hall of fame weekend by talking about the ring of honor. And then five minutes before the Hall of Fame game, what's Jerry doing? He's talking about Jimmy going into the Ring of Honor. Uh, so that was, I mean, like, I, I, I don't know why people didn't remember that, you know, last week. And so uh, the other thing, though, is, you know, it felt kind of, I mean, like, I realized that Jerry had not confirmed that Jimmy was going into the Ring of Honor, but it felt really obvious. Like, you can't exclude him if he's in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it wasn't like earth-shattering news. And finally... Okay, cool. So you you gave us this earth shatter this non earth shattering news that you told us you weren't going to do, but you he didn't even tell us when. You know, like it, it was just he's going to go into the Ring of Honor. Cool. When is that going to happen? Because you know, unless you're going like you're not really giving us any new information. You know what I mean? Like, the, but for I mean, and it is cool. He says he's going into the Ring of Honor, but this is a unique situation. You know, to put someone in the Ring of Honor, it's generally at halftime of a Cowboys game, whatever. Blah blah blah. You know, most Cowboys home games are played on Sundays and Jimmy Johnson works for Fox. So he has obligations on Sundays. Uh, so just kind of doing the math, the, the only real opportunity the Cowboys have, that I think, that Jimmy could attend is their week three Monday night game against the Eagles. Because obviously that's not a Sunday. And so is it going to happen then? Are they going to tell us it's going to happen then? Because if you're just going to tell us it's going to happen someday in the future, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really do anything for me. It, it, it seems disingenuous. It's, it seems a little bit like Jerry just wanting a piece of the attention last week. And that's where a lot of Cowboys fans are. They get frustrated by things like that. They get frustrated hearing Jerry get teary-eyed a few weeks ago saying, I messed up, whatever. Because if you really feel like you messed up, then when, what's the day? When are you putting him in? What's the plan? Because right now you're just dragging your feet. RJ, I got three more questions. All right. The last one for the Cowboys. What's your prediction for the Cowboys this season? You know, if you told me their over-under was 10 and a half wins, I'd probably slightly lean over. I think they're winning between 10 and 11 games. I think that's good enough for an NFC East title. Um, and I, I, I really think just because football can be such a, a poetic creature, I think the Cowboys are going to win a play. I think, well, I'll put it this way. I think Aaron Rodgers' last game as a Green Bay Packer 
will be a home loss at Lambeau Field in the playoffs to the Dallas Cowboys, the team he's tormented forever, led by the head coach who he ran out of town and Mike McCarthy. That just seems <laughs> like it fits to me. Uh, so um, I don't know what round of the playoffs that happens in, but, but I do see that happening uh, come January. I have we, – we did a show with me and Ryan the other day, and I have if Dak is healthy, it's no question that the Cowboys to me should win the NFC East. Now I want you to go around the NFC East and tell me your predictions for every team in the NFC – the other teams in the NFC East. You know, I, as far as – records are so hard, but I, I do think that I can I can project how I think the division shakes out. I am not as low on the Eagles as most people are. Um, hmm. I, I believe in Jalen Hurts a little bit, and, and I'm really excited to kind of see what he – I mean, excited as a Cowboys fan. Just he's, he's a fun guy. He's an easy guy to root for, so I'm interested to see that. But I could see Jalen winning – you know, the Eagles winning about eight games. I could see that, you know, because – the NFC East, I mean, they play the AFC West. So you're talking the Eagles get a game against the Broncos. They get a game against the Raiders. They get to play the Jets as courtesy of the new 17th game. Um, I think I am very low on the New York Giants. So that's a little bit of a spoiler. So I think the Eagles can sweep them. I think they could, you know, split the series with Washington. I mean, I could see them kind of getting to seven, eight wins and, and that being good enough for a second. I do think that Washington – has an incredible defense, but I am in no way a believer in Ryan Fitzpatrick, the NFL quarterback. Um, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick was the best quarterback under pressure last year, but that is generally a statistic where players don't repeat that same level of success. And so uh, I think it was a little bit lightning in a bottle. And what's more is we, we have seen, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I, I can guarantee there, there will be a game in September where he does something awesome. There will be a lot of memes and everybody will talk like Twitter will be a buzz with Fitz magic. Like that will happen, but the bottom will come out because that's what happens with Ryan Fitzpatrick In an unfortunate circumstance for Washington, their last five games in a row are all against NFC East teams. I don't know why the NFL did that, um, but obviously that's a really important part of their schedule. And I don't think that Ryan will be that great at that point. And what's more is within that stretch, there is a four-week stretch where they play Philly and Dallas each twice in three weeks. I think the four weeks are Dallas, Philly, Dallas, Philly. Hmm. Um, And so I just, I mean, I would not bet on Ryan Fitzpatrick in general, let alone in a crucial month like the month of December. So um, I think that they faltered a third in the division. There is only one team in the NFC that I believe is worse than the Giants, and that's the Detroit Lions. I do not believe in the Giants at all. I think that they have some talent, but I just, it all seems messy. And I felt this way before all the retirements and everything. Um, I just, that seems, my other prediction, I mean, uh, Jason Garrett will be the head coach of the Giants this time next year. That, that has been predestined for, this is, this has been written in the stars. Um, Jason Garrett is, is the future head coach of the New York Giants. That has felt really obvious for a long time. Oh, you heard that right here from RJ Achua. Last one from the outside looking in. What are your thoughts on the Bears so far? And maybe not a record, but what we can expect from them this season. The Bears. Um, okay. Um, so my dog's name is Bear. And so I have um, – I really do have like a soft spot in my heart for the Bears. They're his second favorite team. Um, and I love Justin Fields. <laughs> I, I am so happy that he went to Chicago as opposed to Denver, as opposed to Carolina – I like when players, like everybody, 
that I like end up with. I do really appreciate the Bears. I appreciate the the history associated with the franchise. I appreciate that they're kind of an NFL blue blood. I would love to see them be really great. I would love to see the NFC North belong to them for a long time. I'm so sick of Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Um, <laughs> and so, um, so I'm excited. And I, I there's just something about the Bears, and like you know, I, I hope that Soldier Field isn't sold or the new place isn't built, and there's a different Thank name. You. Like this. There's there's Thank something you. about there's some there's something about this particular franchise that feels you know sacred to me, um, just because I'm a huge NFL fan along with being a Cowboys fan, and so I I really you know I don't believe in that much in the Packers, or rather I don't believe that Aaron Rodgers can can cash this check that he's written because he has. I mean, th- there's no way that he can accomplish anything that will justify the way he was all offseason. There's no way. I mean, unless they just storm through the regular season and win the Super Bowl, but that is incredibly unlikely. I mean, I've talked about injuries. Like, the Packers have been very fortunate with injuries over the last couple of years. They haven't been dealt these bugs or these hurdles that other teams have had. And, um, you know, I, I, Randall Cobb was an incredible cowboy, really great person, really great locker room guy. I don't believe that Randall Cobb is like the missing piece. Right. Um, to the Packers in 2021, right. and so um, I, I could, I would, I could really see them struggling, and I really would love to see how that unfolds. If if they're 500 in November, I would love to see the dichotomy between Aaron and, and Matt Lafleur and Brian Gutekunst and everybody. Um, but so I know this is a question about the Bears. I think the Bears are in, in the right place to challenge them because I think you know the Lions are a mess and the Packers are a mess waiting to happen. And I, I could totally see, you know, the Cowboys played the Vikings in week eight, I believe. And I know that Dallas and Minnesota are both coming off of their bye entering that game. And so I, that's just kind of the right time. I could see if Kirk is struggling and things aren't right and Vikings fans are getting loud. Coming off of the bye, I've thought maybe, you know, we, we see this a lot. You know, teams, you know, they make a switch to a rookie during the bye. So they give them the extra week to prepare. Um, mm-hmm. I could see Kellen Mond jumping in for uh, for Kirk later on in the season. So I could totally see Chicago being a wild card team. And, and if things break really right, winning the division. But I, I do think it's a matter of time before Justin Fields is, is the king of the north. And I'm really excited to watch that happen. I can't wait, but you heard it here. RJ Choi with Kellen Munn supplants Kirk Cousins this year. You heard it right here. RJ, appreciate it. Everyone follow him at RJ Choi. Great talking to you, man. This was fantastic. This was fun. You have a terrific day, man. Appreciate it, man. You too. Uh, I'll be rooting for the Bears, like I said, and so am I, dog. Thank you, man. We appreciate it. Welcome to that Davis show. And I'm fortunate enough to be joined by Ryan Talbot, a writer for nyup.com and also syracuse.com and co-host of Shout, the Buffalo Bills football podcast is joining us as we continue our NFL preview, the AFC East this time. So we're definitely going to talk about the Bills and talk about a player that I had in the draft that a lot of people in Chicago was disrespecting me when I was like, I would select this quarterback and talk about the rest of the AFC East and, of course, our Bears. Ryan, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I definitely appreciate it. So listen, to pat myself on the back and break my arm, um, I was a Josh Allen guy, right? And I remember uh, talking to some experts here that were raving about Baker Mayfield's, and I'm like, yeah, I don't, nah, give me the Josh Allen kid. You know what I'm saying? Like just the cannon in the arm. So, so I want to ask you this. What did you initially think about the Bills drafting Josh Allen, but also looking at last year? Because, listen, I, I had him. I didn't think he was going to be second runner-up in the MVP race, 
as fast or at all. Let me say that. So what do you think of his progression and where do you think he needs to go next? Well, first and foremost, it was a bold move by the Buffalo Bills when they ended up drafting Josh Allen. Uh, The team had made the playoffs the year before that. Tyrod Taylor was in at quarterback. It was Sean McDermott's first year as head coach. But they still knew that they needed a a long-term option at quarterback. So they actually moved up twice that year in the draft. They they traded away Cody, uh, Cordy Glenn, I should say, to move up into about 12, if I remember correctly, and then from 12 to 7 to take Allen. And at that point, three-quarter... Uh, you, you already had Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold off the board. So you, you were wondering who's it going to be out of those last three quarterbacks. Was it going to be Josh Allen? Was it going to be Josh Rosen? Or was it going to be Lamar Jackson? Uh, perhaps is a little bit of a wild card there because Jackson was moving up on a lot of the mock drafts at that time. But Allen had a lot of uh, the intangibles that you need in Buffalo. You need that big arm, especially come November, December, January. Uh, y- you know, you needed that prototypical size. He was he had some comparisons to Ben Roethlisberger from when Roethlisberger uh, first had started out. I think a lot of people forget just how talented uh, Roethlisberger was with his arms, but even a, a little bit in terms of maneuverability when he yep. first came out as well. So, y- you know, but there was the accuracy issues. And... and I understand that. I know that in in a lot of cases, quarterbacks don't improve on that, but the Bills felt really comfortable with Allen, and they knew that the work that he was going to put in uh, would help him make some strides year by year, but you know, to to what you said, I don't know how many people thought that Allen was going to finish second in MVP voting last year. I think a lot of Bills fans are expecting that year two to year three leap, but that leap was a lot more significant than people, I I think, uh, were expecting. Yeah, you see our very own Mitch Trubisky is coming to get some of that sauce, it seems like. But I want to focus on Allen before I get to Mitch. I mean, when you think about one of the last things you saw Josh Allen do in 2019 was basically get a ton of negative yards in a playoff game. All right. Just like it. I mean, it got really bad real quick in the second half of that playoff game. And to just make that leap, who outside of Josh himself, who gets most of the credit for that? The offensive coordinator or McDermott? Uh, You know, actually, there's a few. I I think Brian Dable deserves his fair share of credit. Uh, I think Ken Dorsey in Buffalo, the quarterback's coach, deserves his Mm. fair share of credit as well. I think that uh, Dorsey is the... The, the person who is kind of lying in wait for when Brian Dable eventually gets that head coaching job. I think Dorsey will get it. And, and then outside of the Bills organization, Jordan Palmer deserves a ton of credit. Every offseason, Josh Allen has worked with Jordan Palmer. Uh, Palmer has, has put a lot of work into Allen, doing some biometrics, looking at you know the movement of his upper body and lower body, getting that in sync. And, and a lot of that, obviously, uh, paid off for Allen last year. And then, of course, with, with Brandon Bean also acquiring Stefan Diggs, it never hurts to add a number one wide receiver to an offense where in that playoff game that you were mentioning, uh, Duke Williams, a player who's been on the pre- who was on the practice squad last year, uh, was their leading uh, target in terms of, of passes. So that kind of tells you it's night and day between where they were to where they currently are in that wide receiver room. Listen, we uh, of course you know we're in the NFC North, so we we saw a lot of Stephon Diggs, but you saw him alongside Adam Thielen. 
So you definitely looked at him as a, the number one. Some of us looked at him as number one and Thielen as the number two. But I don't know if you looked at him as the one one that he was last year. What was it like having a phenomenal? I mean, you looked at him as just being a range, a deep threat. But he showed last year that he can do everything. What was that like having that type of phenomenal number one receiver to go along with your top flight quarterback? Yeah, it was a lot of fun to watch because, you know, the, the one thing that Diggs does exceptionally well is his route running. And, and when you have an elite route runner, it makes the life easier for the quarterback. So with, with Stefan Diggs being your number one, uh, with Cole Beasley in the slot, again, another elite route runner, you know, it made life a little bit easier for Josh Allen because he knew that those guys are going to get some separation. They're going to give me some uh, a wide area for me to throw. Now, to Allen's credit, he didn't need that wide gap or that area. He was able to fit in some passes into tight windows uh show off exceptional touch into some games last year and then obviously the accuracy was off the charts this was not wide receivers having to come back and make exceptional plays on the ball it was Allen putting the ball right where it needed to be so it was a little of a mix there but from Diggs himself yeah just a, an outstanding route runner first and foremost that David show with Ryan Talbot. Follow him at Ryan Talbot Bills. I want to get to Cole Beasley, but in a roundabout way, I want to talk about Deion Watkins and his battle with COVID-19 and him kind of talking about the fact that he had only had his second dose for two weeks before he got sick and being short having shortness of breath, chills, a fever, and being in the hospital. Like how how does that affect this team? Because here the Sox, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the White Sox. I know you're on the East Coast. All right, the Sox. Um, we have we have a player that you may know about. I don't know if you follow the Red Sox or not, uh, that they trade this out. One of the players that got in the Chris Sale trade, uh, Yoan Mankata. Yoan Mankata got affected before baseball resumed last year. And a lot of people were down on him. And w- one of the things I told them is he had COVID. So we don't know if something that's as unknown as COVID, how the body is going to bounce back and how each body reacts to coming back. Because, you know, you can have long all symptoms and stuff like that. So how does that? How is Deion Dawkins' illness going to affect this team? Because he lost ten pounds. Um, you're talking about your left tackle. This, I mean, this isn't this isn't like a receiver where you can be able to hide something because you know what route you're running. You're engaging at hike every go rip. What do you think is going to happen with Deion Watkins as far as his health this season? Because I'm sure it's, it's important. We just talked about Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen, and you want somebody to cover Josh Allen's butt. Well, hey, you know, that's the million-dollar question. We need to wait and see how this affects Deion Dawkins in the regular season. Uh, he says that he feels he can be ready for week one between now and then. He, he's kind of returned last week a little bit, and then he was actually in a lot of the 11-on-11 work uh, yesterday. And he, he actually looked very good, to his credit. He, he looked like he was holding his own at that position, and he's been very good in that role. But you're right. We don't know how it's going to affect him long-term, how it's going to affect him on a game-by-game basis in terms of snaps that he can play he could be winded uh but you know at any point in that game and they might have to put someone else in uh, a rookie in spencer brown for instance uh and give him some reps on a week-by-week basis until dawkins feels like he can truly go 100 percent of the snaps because th- that's what they really do need out of him you know and dawkins is not the first bills player to uh see some lasting effects with covid now we, we don't know if he's going to have lasting effects into the season but he was hospitalized for four days uh, shortness of breath you know hot 
hot, cold. Uh, he mentioned a lot of the different side effects that he had. But last year, their third string tight end, Tommy Sweeney, uh, had COVID. And then he was actually out for the season because it led to him having a, a minor heart condition. So, Whoa. you know, Sweeney's back in the mix this year for a roster spot. He, he was able to return to the field. But the, the Bills have seen firsthand how it can affect players uh, in terms of not just short term, but long term. Real quick on that, um, your 53-man roster is out. Everybody go check that out. What round was Spencer Brown drafted in just to, to know what type of talent level people kind of predicted for him just so I, we, we can know what round was he drafted in? Yeah, third round. Third okay, round. That's, not a bad, that's not a bad tackle. You expect something from a third round third round tackle. Oh, okay. All right, Bills. I see what you're doing. We don't have any tackles here, just so you know. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to do seven on seven here. We're, like Everybody knows now that tackles are passe. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just so you know you guys can get to the, the new groove because we're in a bad situation here. I don't know if you heard the Tevin Jenkins news. Yes. Uh, yeah, It's but that's Chicago. When it comes to drafting tackles early, they get hurt before they even play for the Chicago Bears. All right, speaking oh. of, I know. Speaking of playing for the Bears, um, yeah, you guys got someone on your team that uh, some Chicago fans held in high regard and finally had to let go of that dream last season, and that's Mitchell Trubisky. How has Mitch been in camp? Uh, I, I won't. I won't say attitude wise because Mitch never had a bad attitude. Mitch isn't a bad person. That's not. We don't want that that type of narrative to be created. Uh, he did a lot of stuff in the community. Uh, but how has his play been? And has ha- have you seen him, I don't know, be able to really adapt to the system, but not just adapt to the system, being able to implement it during practices and during the times in his first preseason game? Yeah, I think he's the clear-cut number two quarterback. And uh, in that first preseason game, he only attempted two passes. The Bills really came out with a let's-get-the-run-game-going type of game plan, get Devin Singletary going. Because last year, they didn't really lean on the run whatsoever. It was a very pass-happy offense. And while I expect that to be the same this year, they want to have a little bit more balance there. But I also thought that the fact that he only attempted two passes just showed that the Bills had seen enough in practice through training camp He's had some really strong practices. He's, lo- he's looked pretty good. He's come in with a positive attitude. He, he met with the media recently, and he said, you know, his first goal was to find a starting job this offseason. He goes, there, there weren't as many opportunities as you would expect. So then after that kind of went away, the next thing was, well, what's a good situation for me? And Buffalo is a really good situation for him, first and foremost, because Brian Dable is one of the best offensive minds in the NFL. Uh, he can learn from him this year. And not just this year. If Brian Dable gets a head coaching job somewhere next season, mm. who's he likely to take with him as his stopgap quarterback? Mitch Trubisky. Right. Generally speaking, when, when a new coach gets hired, that team needs a quarterback. It's not 100% of the time, but more more times than not. So I think Trubisky's a guy that's, hey, I get a year to learn this offense get that experience under my belt and then, you know, come next season, I might be this guy's starting quarterback somewhere else in the league. And, and that gives me a chance to, to start a new start fresh somewhere else. Hopefully it works out like that because we don't wish the worst on Mitch. It was just Ryan Pace made a, a bad mistake by moving up and selecting him. I did forget this. I, I want to talk about Cole Beasley and his comments about vaccinations and COVID and how, just how does that affect the team? from, I guess, their mindset, but also from the fact that now we know that teams will, will will lose a game if one of the players that are unvaccinated catches COVID during that week. So, how does, so financially, it affects his teammate, but how has his, his comments affected the team and how does the community kind of react towards it? 
Yeah, that's a great question. You know, there were a lot of questions about how to be taken in the locker room and the the Bills kind of shared this video of all the players coming back for training camp and all of them were coming up to Cole Beasley, giving him big hugs, embracing him. He's very popular in the locker room. And, to, you know, and again, to his credit, he came out and said, I'm speaking on behalf of a lot of players who don't have the seniority in this league that don't have that. They haven't played in the league for many, many years. And they're afraid that if they speak there, uh, if they speak up, they might get released. They might not get that opportunity. And, you know, obviously not just in in Buffalo's locker room, but there are a lot of players who have not received the vaccination. While there are many teams that are at that 80, 90, and then one team yesterday getting that 100% threshold, there are many teams that I think are going to hover in that 80 range all season, which might end up being where the Bills are because Beasley is not the only person in this locker room who feels that way. I don't think it has uh, any effects in terms of the chemistry in this locker room. They are all with that mindset of, hey, you know, we have Super Bowl expectations this year, but you, you raised a great point. What happens if it, if it ends up not just in Buffalo, but anywhere in this league, if a team has to forfeit a game? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, that, that could raise some issues across the league. So it, it will be interesting to see how that comes about, if it comes about last year, because you know the NFL had a little bit of a buffer win- window last year to kind of move games around. They, they don't seem like they're going to go out of their way to do that this year. What about the defense? Because And this is a two-part question, because you brought up something. I, sometimes I feel like, Buffalo has a good defense. And then it's like, wait, is it just a situational defense? But you brought up the Devin Singletary. And I remember two years ago when he got drafted, because I believe this is his third season mm-hmm. that he'll be entering. I, I, it seemed like he was going to be one of those guys you could depend on. I know he was, I believe, nicked up last year. But as you said, it's a pass-happy offense. And it, going back to defense, you need time for the defenders to be off the field. And a lot of times if you have a pass-happy offense, the defenders are going to be on the field. Even if you're scoring, defenders are going to be on the field a lot a lot more often than you would necessarily want. W- what are some of the deficiencies that you look at. And I still want to talk about the defense and Devin Singletary, but as the team, because with a team with, with championship aspirations, the last thing you want is to not play fundamental football, even though everyone loves passing the football around. Yeah, you know, the defense took a little bit of a step back last year, despite the offense being uh, unbelievable. And maybe it was because they're on the field a lot more because some of those Bills drives went pretty quickly when they put up points. But first and foremost, last year, I think their struggles started on the defensive line because they were missing Star Latula in the middle, that one technique that could take on two blockers, free things up for the other linemen, as well as some of the linebackers. So when teams were able to use the run against the Bills, the Bills did struggle in some games. You go back to that first Chiefs game and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was very very successful in that matchup. Um, That obviously has been... you know, the issue is no longer there with Latula coming back this year. The Bills really invested on that defensive end position in the draft. Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham the year before that, AJ Epinesa in round two. So the defensive line's looking really good. I would say if there's one issue with this team, it might be cornerback depth. They have Tredavious White as their number one. There's a competition going on for that number two spot. I would say that veteran Levi Wallace uh, is in the in the lead for that number two cornerback job and, and he's someone that's kind of won the job year after year after year the last few seasons with then you have Dane Jackson you have Taron Johnson Saran Neal who's more of a special team standout but then you know there's some questions after that if one of those guys goes down who's going to step up so you know that's the one area on this defense if if I were to be concerned I would say maybe they need some more cornerback depth what's your prediction for the Bills this season 
I have them winning 13 games in the regular season, uh, winning the AFC East. I, I think when you look at the rest of the AFC East, there, there's still question marks with every team out there uh, that the Bills will be going against. Miami, I, I expect Tua to make some strides. Uh, their offensive line. He looked better last week, just so you know. He, yeah, he oh, yeah, watched. Yeah, you know, he got all the way down to the end zone, then he threw that pick, and I was like, oh, come on, guy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but I, I think they're going to be a little bit better offensively. There are still some questions about their offensive line. I know they just uh, made a trade, but there was a lot of issues with them letting up sacks recently. Jets, I still think roster-wise, aren't there yet. Patriots have their own interesting quarterback competition going on. So when you look across uh, the entire roster for this, for all these teams, it just feels like the Bills have the strongest roster and, and with a little bit of a, a gap in there, too, between the Bills and the next team. Who's the next team? Right now, I would say the Dolphins are the next team. Uh, you know, they're coming off of a season where they were playing for a playoff spot in week 17. Obviously, didn't go their way with the Bills blowing them out 56-26. Uh, but they were on the threshold of making it last year. And, and like I said, if, if Tua can make some strides from his rookie year to year two, which I think, one, quarterbacks generally do that. But two, they've added some weapons for him at wide receiver. I like Mike Gusecki at tight end. I, yeah. I think that they're that clear number two team in this division. Now, maybe Mac Jones will shock me, and maybe he'll be that quarterback in New England because I love New England's defense. They're very talented, but I definitely have some questions on the offensive side of the ball for that team. And like I said, the Jets are still missing some pieces on both sides of the ball. Definitely with the Jets. But I have to ask you a, a Mac Jones question. You guys are coming from having – the GOAT of quarterbacks in your division for 20 years, right? And I, I'm living in a world where I've had 30 years of excellence from the Green Bay Packers under center position, mm-hmm. right? So the hopes is Jordan Love, and I wish him the the best in a way, but the hopes is he's not going to continue on the legacy of Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. Is there a fear that it looked like like last year, it, was, it looked like you guys had a window for maybe five to ten years, right? And finally, that beast that's New England is it's over with because Tom Brady has left. But Mac Jones falls to them at 15. And I guess also I want to know your draft night thoughts. Mac Jones falls to them at 15. And before you know it, perhaps next year, New England may be back at it as a real top competitor in this division when it looked like the, the Bills finally could be living the 90s again as far as the Marv Levy era. You know what I'm saying? And just you because know, I, I love those Bills from the 90s. I, w- I still wish they just had won one. You know what I'm saying? Just one. You just because people don't know how great they were because they lost all four. But it was a great team. But but yeah, how does that feel that? know that New England may be back on your, your, you guys' butts before you know it. You knew it. Yeah, you know, if Mac Jones ends up being the real deal, uh, they obviously could. Starting even this year, they could compete for that division. Now, I was not high on Mac Jones, if I'm being quite honest. I was obviously a huge fan of Trevor Lawrence. I think everyone is. And then after that, I had Trey Lance next. I think Lance uh, had to had to end up throwing a great situation, which obviously did in San Francisco. Kyle Shanahan, one of the best offensive minds right. in, in this game. So I, I think that that's going to benefit him. And then I was kind of, you know, I, I there's oh, you're being very lot. disrespectful right now, Ryan. I want you to know that you're being very disrespectful. <laughs> well, well I, I had Fields next. I, okay. I really did like Fields. Um, and, you know, the worst part about draft season are all those anonymous sources. And it felt like there were reports coming out about his leadership and, and this, that, and the other. And then there's teammates and coaches standing up for the guy. Uh, so I had Fields third. 
remember when you when you're looking at this, you can't just look at the college careers. You got to look at those intangibles. And, and while I really like what Fields brings to the table, you know, Lance, the rocket arm, he. he in some ways, he reminded me of Josh Allen, not across the board, but some similarities there. But yeah, then I had Fields and then I kind of had Wilson and, and Mac Jones in that next tier down with Wilson slightly ahead of him. So I wasn't buying the hype that the 49ers were going to be all in on Mac Jones, which was obviously obviously a very popular storyline leading up to the draft. Would he have fit their system? Sure. I think Shanahan could get the best out of any of those quarterbacks in this I draft. Uh, but I'm, I'm just not sold on him necessarily. I want to see what he can do. The accuracy is going to be there, but you need more than just accuracy to make it in the NFL. Mm. True. Definitely true. So sticking with our team here from the outside looking in, what do you expect from the Bears this season and moving forward? You disrespectfully had our quarterback <laughs> number three, uh, even though I, I, I me and Ryan were big Trey Lance guys. We started two years ago. We were big Trey Lance guys because we didn't think the Bears would be able to get at that point be able to get um, um, Justin Fields because he was looked at as being either 1A or 1B to Trevor Lawrence. Um, so we lucked into it, and we were the people spreading those rumors that brought his draft stock <laughs> down, just so you know. But yeah, on outside looking in, what do you what, what do you like and dislike about the Bears this season and moving forward? Well, you know, in terms of the dislikes, it's the offensive line, like you mentioned. They ended up getting rid of a good offensive tackle before they had to this offseason. Uh, and I get it. You, you draft Trev, uh, Tevin Jenkins and you expect him to come in, but then injuries happen in this game. So that, that's one thing I, I don't like. I, I like some of the weapons uh, that Fields has, uh, I, I, you know, Looking at Allen Robinson, I'm a huge Allen Robinson guy. I think that he's really good for him in terms of having uh, a solid receiver option there. Uh, looking at the running game, David Montgomery really came on strong last year. Tariq Cohen's coming back. So something to lean on there. And then obviously on the defensive side of the ball, UB guy, uh, Khalil Mack there in Chicago. <laughs> That's never a bad thing to have uh, someone that can be disruptive for you week in and week out. Definitely, definitely. And listen, Ryan, we definitely appreciate it. Everyone follow Ryan and Ryan Talbot Bills. Uh, Great work for NY Up and also the Syracuse.com. And he's the co-host of the Bills Shout Podcast. Ryan, really appreciate it. You have a terrific day, man. Great stuff. Enjoy chatting with you. Hey, thanks for having me on. No doubt. Welcome to That Davis Show, and today we're lucky enough to be be joined, I should say, by Rob Stats Guerrero, NFL host of the SB Nation NFL and and Niners Nation. Let me say that again, in Niners Nation. Follow him at Stats on Fire. First of all, wait, how did you get the name Stats? Of course, it has something to do with Stats, but how did this nickname Stats come about? So it started years ago. I used to be an intern at ESPN Radio. My first job was to just sit in the radio studio and hand the people on the air statistics that I saw on the TV screens in front of me. And so another producer walked by and they were like, who's that kid in the studio? And somebody else said, I don't know, Stats. Because that's all I did at the time. And so from then on, nobody at ESPN Radio ever used my actual first name. <laughs> How long ago was this? That was probably 2006, 2007. Okay. All right. You came a long way, Stats. So look at yeah. you shining in that beautiful <laughs> 49ers red. 49ers. So we have this. We have. Uh, I'm on this show called Sean and Maya in the morning. They're on this network called Chicago Sports Zone. This is a discussion that we have outside of being on under center for embassy and all this other stuff that I do. All right. Mm-hmm. But the discussion that I, we have is having side booze in sports. All right. So outside of your home team, 
you know, you may have a team, your home team may be bad, or you just may have another team through the players that are on it, but or you just like that team. Growing up, the 49ers were my side boo. All right. Particularly, probably, even though I know he's the better quarterback, Steve Young's 49ers were really my side boo. You know what I'm saying? I, I love mm-hmm. Joe Montana, but I mean, Steve, I, I think Steve Young may be my favorite quarterback. All right. When you're talking about everything, I feel like he's, Fran Tarkenton is the guy that really, I think, for today's quarterback made mobile quarterbacks the thing. Okay. But I feel like that Randall, Cunningham, Randall Cunningham took it to another level, but I feel like Steve Young, he worked it out. You know what I'm saying? Like he, yes. to me, he's a, you can kind of see how he always kind of favors mobile quarterbacks. He, he views himself as one of the caretakers of that. And I always love it. So I'm a huge Steve Young guy to just to give you that to open up this interview. All right. Well, so now I like hearing that, but I, I don't know about this whole side boo thing. What? You can't have a side boo? No, you can't have it. Come on, man. You pick your team and that's it. You can't have backup options. See, this is the problem with this is you haven't been a Bears fan. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, I'm sure you weren't there during the Bill Walsh years of the 80s. And probably maybe in your youth, you still had the, the fringes of the Super Bowl. Maybe you were sentient during the 05 reign, which was... See magnifique if you if you had a side boo. All right to tell you it was oh listen on Fox you used to turn on 49ers games just to watch the first half and then just sit there and see what the the the, 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 the opposing team try to catch up in the second half. Oh that loaded team. Listen, I won't get into how much from the ownership and I'm talking about back back owner. All right, like I love the 49ers growing up, so I'm happy that you didn't need a side boo. <laughs> stats all right come on man i mean the 49ers largely since steve young retired your guy have been awful really they've had the weirdest scenario for a little bit yeah Jeff Garcia Garcia was okay but like he wasn't steve young he wasn't but you know what i've never had a jeff garcia yeah that's true well the bears are the bears are a situation unlike any other They've had maybe one franchise quarterback in their entire history ever. That's unbelievable. It's very it's it's it's, it's an outlier. It shouldn't happen. You know, <laughs> it shouldn't like you you can rank on the Cleveland Browns, but you can at least name three franchise quarterbacks that they've had. You know what I'm saying? Like for real, for real. Like we've had one guy from 70 years ago. But we'll get into the Bears. We'll get into the Bears. I want to get into the 49ers. And in your opinion, with, with last year and all those injuries, I know teams usually say, you know what, that was last year, and they don't expect that to trend this year. What's the fear that that's the need? You know, like the, a lot of like the, just all these injuries, you have 13, you had 13 guys not start. It's a preseason game, but you had 13 starters, mm-hmm. I should say, that didn't play in this preseason game. What's the fear? Because a lot, one thing here talking about here, like, in Chicago, when things like that happen, particularly like with the Chicago Bulls, if one of the first questions is what's going on with the training staff, you know, like why are all these guys hurt? So what are the expectations as far as health this season? Is it just one of those, listen, that was a bad, bad stretch of luck, or is it, we need to really need to try to change something to figure out why all these guys got hurt last season. Well, the problem is they've changed the training staff a couple years ago and it hasn't helped. You mentioned last year, they were the most injured team in the league. 
2019, they were the sixth most injured team in the league. The year before that, they were the fourth most injured team in the league. So this is not a one-year thing. And the problem for the 49ers is they keep relying on guys that have a long injury history. And unfortunately, that's still the case this year. Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't been able to get out of September in two out of his last three years. George Kittle always banged up. I think he has one full season in his career. Nick Bosa coming off a knee injury last year, obviously, but was dinged up at Ohio State. Didn't play any in the preseason in his rookie year because he was hurt. Debo Samuel always hurt, got hurt the last Friday. We were worried he wasn't going to play in the game. Luckily, he did. He came back. Raheem Mostert never played a full season. Always hurt. No matter where you look on the 49ers roster, they're depending on guys that have lengthy injury histories. So I'm hoping it's going to be better this year because last year was a massive wave of injuries like I've never seen before. But I don't think it's going to be great, even if it's improved. You know what? Let me ask you this. It just occurred to me while you were saying it. It's part of the reason the style of play, you know, it's 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 a. um it's a physical style of play, play, and you have one of the only coaches that can make running the football sexy. And so you <laughs> you get you get a lot of times where a Kittle and a Debo Sanders, I'm saying uh, Debo Samuels, um, uh, may sit there and they could be blocking downfield. It's, it's just a physical style of play, and is that taken into consideration of why these guys are so hurt? I think it has to be part of it, especially Debo and Kittle. Like they are constantly looking to smash into other people. That takes a toll. I don't care how big and tough you are. But the other thing is, uh, hurt guys get hurt. And mm. that's just what happens. And they nice. keep bringing these guys back. And, and even like a guy like D4, they, they rolled the dice on D4. They got it from Kansas City. The reason Kansas City made him available was because they knew that he couldn't stay healthy and on the field. And obviously the 49ers knew that too, but they were in a position where the roster was so barren. They needed talent so desperately that they had to take some risks on some guys with some injury histories. And so that's kind of what they've done. Now they're at a point where their roster is stronger. And if you go back and look at like the last two draft classes of all the guys they brought in, I think they played like 95% of their possible college snaps. So they're putting a focus now on bringing on guys that don't get hurt, but primarily the foundation of this team are guys with injury histories. And that's what hurt guys do. They get hurt. That's true. That's this facts. It's a good one. I'm going to use that one. Uh, you brought him up. I was going to ask you next about D Ford and the sunken cost of his contract. What are the expectations w- with him just reading up on it? They don't even really know what part of his back is really the issue. It seems like it, it, it's it's moving around. I believe I saw <laughs> Cal Shanahan say and, and I, it makes me think about how much can you get out of uh, Sanson? Uh, let me see. Ubakum. I could have I butchered that. But out on the opposite side of Nick Bosa, with Nick Bosa coming back from injury, like what what's the expectations of that front seven with so many of these guys nicked up and that being key to this team being excelling and trying to get back to contending for a Super Bowl? So D Ford, I've never seen anything like this. If you talked to me last season, I would have said not only is D Ford not going to be able to contribute, he's going to have to retire. It was a neck injury. It was a back injury. There's never been a back injury in the history of sports that has gotten better, I feel like. Once you have a back, it just gets worse and worse and worse. So if you had asked me then, I would have said he's done. Now, I don't know how this is happening, but D Ford is back on the field. He's running around. He's flying around. He's looking good. Supposedly, he's going to play this year. Now, 
he's he started the last year too and he played one game and he got hurt and he never came back so we'll see if it lasts but my hope is between d ford and the aforementioned samson abukum that okay. they can combine to be what d ford was himself in 2019 maybe they each only play you know one guy plays eight games one guy plays nine games but you don't need a superstar on the other side from Bosa because he's going to attract all the attention. He's getting all the double teams. You just need somebody that can win their one-on-one matchup. So if I can get Ford and I can get uh, Samson Ebukam, I'm good. Like That should be enough to provide a formidable pass rush. Plus you have Eric Armstead. Plus you have Javon Kinlaw. Plus you have a bunch of other depth pieces on the front for the 49ers. I think that is the deepest part of their team is their defensive line. Look, it's funny you bring up the backs don't get well. We've been echoing that here with rookie uh, Tevin Jenkins that, mm. you know, like he, he he may have a good career, but backs, especially talking about linemen, you're, you're engaged, you're locked up, backs do not improve. I want to go a little bit further away from the line. I know that the 49ers have, I think George Kittle may be the best tight end in football right now. I mean, because I think you I think from the blocking standpoint compared to Kelsey, I kind of lean towards that, even though you brought up the fact that he's been hurt. I know you guys have uh, George Kittle, who's phenomenal. And you have uh, Jalen Hurd, who, you know, had one game in 2019 and and and, and Juwan Jenkins, you know, a, a couple of names that outside of St. Clair and, and uh, the Bay Area, I don't know if too many people know of. But one of the things in this offense has always stuck out to me is why why isn't John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan getting large catch radius guys in this offense, especially with the guy initially and we'll get to Trey Lance later, but with like Jimmy Garoppolo, who it could benefit having a couple six, two, six, three guys that can necessarily make up for mistakes when it comes to accuracy. Like where are where's the draft equity? or just in free agency going for a quote-unquote stud that's a big receiver? Well, I agree with you. They could use that. Um, their biggest receiver last year was Kendrick Bourne, who was not exactly a giant. He just was the tallest of the 49ers guys. In terms of catch radius, they think Brandon Ayuk is that guy. He's got 33-and-a-half-inch arms. They think that when they look at him, that's sort of the guy that they project him to be. They think he's going to be their clear number one wide receiver this year. Uh, and that God knows they're going to need it because between Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, even last night, some of those balls, they're putting that catch radius to the test. Let me tell you, it's not always right on the money. Yeah. Um, so that they think that Ayuk is that guy. Uh, but, I mean, the receiver depth for the Niners is a bit of an issue. I mean, they're going to have to depend on Debo Samuel, who's always hurt, like I talked about. Trent Sherfield has seemingly come out of nowhere this preseason, who looks really, really good. But... Again, a lot of guys look good in preseason. We'll see if that yep. carries over. You know, now I think in this offense, they can get by with a third wide receiver who's, you know, just okay. Um, but it's not exactly the deepest position for the 49ers. I think that's one of the spots where you're kind of depending on Kyle Shanahan to just kind of scheme it open. Like, we're going to lean on you a little bit. This is supposed to be your area. You might have to work with some receivers that aren't necessarily the elite of the elite. You know, I'm envious. How is it to have a head coach and a play caller like Kyle Shanahan? Oh, it's man. it's it seems marvelous. <laughs> there are some plays where I'm just like, my goodness, it looks like a Madden, like there's a game glitch and this guy is wide open. And you wouldn't know it necessarily sometimes because the 49ers quarterback play between Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick Mullins, and C.J. Beathard has been horrendous at times. But they only look as good as they have looked in certain moments. 
because of Kyle Shanahan. Like you said, he makes the running game look sexy. He is he's a mad scientist and yes. it's a blessing. And I know that his record doesn't reflect it, but I'm telling you, it's amazing when you go back, especially when you rewatch the games later and you see like what he actually did and how badly he fools the defense sometimes. It's incredible. I, I think only I would only probably put Andy Reid above him, and that's due to Andy Reid's years of experience. I, I, I place him above uh, Sean Payton. You know, like I, I think I, Cal Shanahan is ridiculous. It's just <laughs> he is. And I'm, I mean, he's ridiculous. I mean, people don't understand when I say making running sexy. We have the problem here where our, our head coach slash play caller wants to prove his intelligence through the air, which a lot of guys do. You want to passing is the thing. But when you can like you guys can it's listen, it's kind of like his father as far as his own blocking scheme mm-hmm. where it's like, hey, just throw anybody back there. He's going to get a thousand yards like you guys. Your most are could go down. Here goes some dude that was just <laughs> on the pier, basically. Just come back and get behind this line. And the next thing you know, this guy just rushed for 150 yards in this game. I'm just I'm totally envious of having a, a play caller in a mind like Kyle Shannon. That's a guy I don't care what happens. And I'm not dissing John Lynch. You better not let that one go. Hold on to Cal Shanahan because you're going to regret. You're not going to find another Cal Shanahan just sticking up from anywhere. That's a special guy right there. I I totally agree with you. They won an NFC championship game where their quarterback threw eight passes, not completed. He only completed six. He threw eight. (laughs) Dude, it's crazy. I'm I'm tired of waxing poetic about Cal Shanahan. Uh, What were your thoughts when you found out that the 49ers moved up to number three in this past draft? (laughs) I will never forget it. I was picking up my son from school and I had said all year on Niners podcast, starting basically in December, I was telling people this offseason is going to be incredible because it has the potential for you to hear a noise on your phone, pick up your phone and say, oh, bleep. I can't believe that just happened. And I'm in the pickup line at my son's school and my phone beeps and I pick it up and I see Adam Schefter. 49ers have traded up with the Dolphins for the number three pick. And I started screaming in the car. Like the teachers that are at the school are looking at this parent. Like what is wrong with this human? I'm screaming, looking at my phone. I couldn't believe it. I was so pumped. And I was actually excited because I really thought deep down that the 49ers were going to draft the bears quarterback in Justin Fields. I was convinced that that's where they were going. And I was just so happy because I knew from the second they traded up, There was no way they were getting Mac Jones. You trade up because you want a guy that can run and throw, and the only way they were going to get that is if they had traded up. And so I was ecstatic. I'll never forget that day. That day was show with Rob Stats Guerrero. Follow him at Stats on Fire. Listen, I I was looking at your thread, so I already know some of these answers, right? Like I knew which way you were leaning and everything, but I had to ask you. And you, well, so when it was reported that there was a chance, and this is before the trade up, of course, that the 49ers were going to bring in Matt Jones, what were your thoughts? Um, why? You already had Mac Jones with Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is a guy that can make some reads and throw the ball, you know, generally where it's supposed to go and move your team down the field very, very methodically. That's who Mac Jones is. And I don't mean to say that as a knock on Mac Jones. In fact, Mac Jones is a much better deep ball thrower than Jimmy G. I was thinking that too. That's not the offense that Kyle Shanahan has to run. And you had to decide, like, do you want to have to run an offense that you have to run? Or do you want to be able to run an offense that you get to run? 
And when you have a guy with arm talent and mobility, now Kyle Shanahan can run the offense he wants to run, go crazy with the plays. So to take Mac Jones, it just felt like the only thing you would save in that case is money because he's going to be a lot cheaper than Jimmy Garoppolo is. I never believed the Mac Jones rumors for a second. And I don't care what the national media said. Even the 49ers beat guys were talking about Mac Jones. It never made sense to me. And I'm so, so, so glad that I was proven right. Wow. I, I, I'm with you on that because it was a fear that Mac Jones was going to land here. And mind you, I love me some Alabama, but I've never I wasn't a Mac Jones guy. And to be honest with you, I wasn't I liked him, but I wasn't the biggest Tua guy because it was flaws with Tua that I saw when it came to big time games and big time defenses. Uh, but going to Jimmy Garoppolo um, <laughs> still when starting since he's there, he's been what, 22 and eight. Um, not bad. <laughs> but I don't have I have a fit. I mean, it's really good. It's really good. And regardless of his failure, he still took you to a Super Bowl. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he could have won a Super Bowl. But well, he, took he, you to the, he yeah, was, I mean, he, he was on the team bus. I mean, he took the trip to the Super Bowl. Right. He wasn't I mean, driving that's the how bus. I worded it. That's how I actually actually worded it. He was there for the Super Bowl. <laughs> right. Yes. All right. I, I, he didn't take you. I mean, actually, if he just made that that one deep pass, the game's over and mm. Jimmy Garoppolo probably doesn't have to worry as much about Trey Lance. Perhaps, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here hindsight being 2020. Um, how long? And I know I got I, I enough sense already. How long do you wait before going to Trey Lance? Do you try to with the veterans that are on this team? Do you give them a chance with Jimmy or are you just full on? We're going to go through the ups and downs of Trey Lance's growing with Trey Lance coming from such a weaker division of football. They're, they're definitely going to be growing pains, but you would think, and we've seen it in the first two preseason, preseason games. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Where, I mean, all the talent is there and we know he, he played in a pro style offense, but still he didn't play in the pro style offense in the pros. So like, I think you're a just throw him in guy, but how how would you go about bringing Trey Lance along? I guess is the question. I'm a throw him in guy. Like when you buy a new car, you don't take it home and keep it in the garage. You drive depends. that thing. Depends you might on what sleep type of car in it. Is. Oh, I mean, come like if you I, get a Ferrari and you have a, a daily driver. You may just take the Ferrari out on weekends. <laughs> okay. Well, guess what? The 49ers don't have a daily driver, okay? <laughs> They're driving themselves. And they spend all this money to get a new car. It doesn't make any sense to me because you're right. Trey's going to have those growing pains. 100%. Any rookie would, especially one coming from North Dakota State. But why not have him have those growing pains in week one and week two against Detroit and Philadelphia, a pillowy soft landing for any rookie quarterback, as opposed to later in the year? I mean, week three, they got to play Green Bay at home on Sunday night football. Do you really want to go through two weeks of Jimmy Garoppolo, then get mad and frustrated and say, oh, he's not the guy? Hey, Trey, come in on Sunday night football on the first home game of the year, the first home game with fans in Levi's Stadium, you know, in a year because of COVID. That's where you want to plunk the rookie down into. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Jimmy Garoppolo is the same guy he's always been. Quarterbacks don't make big jumps when they're 30 years old. It just doesn't happen. We've seen that movie, Ken. I've seen it. I know how it ends. I don't need to see it again. Trey Lance can do everything that Jimmy Garoppolo did in 2019, and he can evade the rush, and he can use his legs. You can use design runs. It doesn't make any sense to me to wait. What must be done eventually must be done immediately. Start him week one. See, okay. If I was in your position, I'm leaning Mm -hmm. the way that you're leaning because you have Cal Shanahan, right? Right. you You have someone you trust 
to whisper in this quarterback's ear, right? I don't have that. And we'll get to my situation <laughs> at the end of this interview. Um, but it's still, I'll say this much. There's still a part of me. And you bringing up how pillowy soft the beginning of this the season is with Philly and Detroit. Um, with the Bears going to Sophie Stadium uh, to play the Rams, which I know you guys just, no, you played play the Chargers in the stadium. Yeah. But still, the fear of Aaron Donald being just accosting poor Justin Fields is like, I'm good. I'm good off of that one. I feel like that's why Andy Dalton got $10 million, so he can be the crash test dummy <laughs> in the situation. But when you're talking about, okay, the third game against the Packers, um, why not just have Jim? Because, listen, Jimmy should win the first two games. So he should. Why not, <laughs> why not just have Jimmy go for all three, all right, and then the loss to the Packers being the trigger to go ahead and get Trey in. And, and I don't know what the record is or the schedule is after the Packers, but then put Trey in for, for past the Packers who, you know, are going to come in with some thunder. Because I think that you're in a better spot if you're the 49ers, right? You want Trey Lance's growing pains to come as early as possible so that when he's playing games in November and December and January, he's still a rookie, but he's not, you know, a quite a rookie. You know what I'm saying? Like he has yeah. some games of experience under his belt. The longer you wait to put him in, the more you just delay all those growing pains. And it doesn't make sense to me to have those growing pains occur later in the season when the games might mean more. I just put him in early, let him grow. All his problems, I feel like, are solved with actual game reps. The longer you wait, I mean, he only played one game last year because of COVID. Now we want to wait to put him in the regular season game. By the time this guy gets in there, he's going to have played like what? One game in a year and a half. I'm not sure that that actually solves any problems. I don't know what what magical thing he's going to learn on the bench in another two or three or four weeks sitting on the bench that he couldn't learn by playing. I got you. I got you, Rob. All right. NFC West, does this division belong to the Rams? Give me your preview for the NFC West this upcoming season. Yeah, I I can never count Seattle out because Russell Wilson is just that damn good. But Pete Carroll seems hell bent on doing everything he can to stop Russell Wilson from being as good as he can be. <laughs> um, I just I look at the Rams and there's a lot of 49er fans that say, like, what do you the 49ers own the Rams? What are you worried about? And I think those people are out of their mind. Sean McVay has been winning 10 games and going to the playoffs with Jared Goff as his quarterback. Right. Now he gets Matthew Stafford, a guy that everybody says, we all pretty much agree, Matt Stafford is better than Jared Goff. And so people think Sean McVay is suddenly going to win less with that defense. I think the Rams are going to be a monster. I think they're going to be a big problem. And I clearly see them as the division favorites at number one. And then I would put Seattle, San Francisco, pretty much a toss-up at number two. And I have the Cardinals a distant, distant fourth because I don't think Cliff Kingsbury knows a damn thing about defense. and I don't think he can coach his way out of a paper bag. I'm so with you. His adaptation is lacking in the game, before the game. It's funny. Um, me, and, me and Ryan went over and we debated this division and this team had more meat on the bone, but it was hard for me to say that I, I wanted to say them above the Rams, but they would have to stay healthy. Like everyone has to be healthy. And I don't know in, in, in any football team, it's very rare that you get an entire season where all of your most important players are healthy. And you saw that from last year, but the, the talent is there and the coaching is there, but I just don't know if you're going to put it all together. And also going along with what you were saying for them to really beat the Rams there, it's going to be Trey Lance would, would have to be the difference maker. Because if you have a whole season of Jimmy Garoppolo 
he's he, he can't take you to that level to, to probably get past the Rams in the long run. So I'm I'm with you. But I mean, still that you guys got some 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 nice treats in the cabinet, to say the least. Last one. Go ahead. What are you about to say? Well, I was going to say, uh, as long as they don't have waves of injuries, like if Debo Samuel misses a couple games during the year, but the other receivers are there, they'll figure it out, especially with Kyle Shanahan. Last year, what crushed them is they lost multiple guys at the same spot all at once. Nick Bosa, Solomon Thomas on the defensive line. Ayuk and Debo Samuel were out at the same time at one point last year. They had waves of injuries at the same spot, and that's what killed them. This year, as long as they don't have that, I think they'll be okay. All right. And from the outside looking in, um, the Bears this season, and also how would you bring along Justin Fields? What do you expect from the Bears this season? And how would you bring along Justin Fields? Okay, see, those are two very different questions. I'm glad you said that. I expect them to go with Andy Dalton to start the season. I don't know why everyone can see that Justin Fields is more talented than Andy Dalton. It's clear. Why can't the Bears just say, look, we never thought Justin Fields would fall to us in the draft. We really thought Andy Dalton was going to be our quarterback. We didn't think we'd have a shot at Justin Fields. Lo and behold, he fell. We jumped up. Circumstances have changed, and we have made the move now. Who's going to blame them for that? What is the ceiling of this team if Andy Dalton's the quarterback? Like, Do you think they're winning a Super Bowl if they have Andy Dalton? I don't think they're winning a Super Bowl this year with either one, but they get closer of, of course, with Justin Fields than with Andy Dalton, even through the ups and downs. My only fear, and I said it to you, my caveat to you earlier was, and I like this guy, but I hate to say it, is Matt Nagy. Um, he has been the question mark. So, and you haven't seen him to have a cohesive, a cohesive offense. So the, the fear is what bad habits may this kid pick up particularly early. Um, so that's kind of, I was a, I was a later on in the season, I've gone to, the third game is funny that talking about how you want to get ready for the third game against the packs and you want to start them to get ready and Trey Lance. Yep. I was, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, you know, by the third game, just, just let Justin go out there or whatever. I do not want Justin Fields to face the Rams. I'm telling you, especially I'm sure you've seen that hit. He took uh, this past weekend. Yeah. I don't want any of that action coming <laughs> from the Rams. All right. But, and I, I hear you. I get that. But at the same time, like, those are the teams he's going to have to beat. If he's going to develop into the player that we all think he can be, he's going to have to beat them. You want the Rams saying, I don't want to have to play Justin Fields. You know, you want to flip the script on them. And there are ways to counteract Aaron Donald. He doesn't make every single play. And he's Justin Fields is so fast. I did not even realize he was as fast as he is watching him on the field this preseason. Like he's he's in the Lamar Jackson, like another gear making the other players go, whoa, that guy's fast. Um, I think you kind of have to put it on him a little bit early to protect himself, because like you said, you don't necessarily have the faith that Matt Nagy is going to put him in the best position to succeed. Yeah. And one of our guards, actually, when he was a rookie, James Daniels played pretty well against uh, uh, Aaron, but Mm -hmm. still. I have a fear. And then you have the former Bears, uh, Leonard Floyd on the edge, who they messed that situation up. It's just keep the kid away from me. I'm I'm with you. So you get two games, cupcake games, to get your guy ready. And we're throwing him in the fire. And it's just like, I don't know if we have the proper weapons behind him. I'm not even talking about on the field. 
to, to help him is kind of the fear. And see, again, this is why when you sit there and, and try to complain about the, the, the years after the 49ers have won the Super Bowl and all you, <laughs> you and I, look at what I, we go through here in this type of like you have quarterbacks. All right. We've been abused. We're scared of what could happen to our quarterback because we're not used to it. I haven't seen it in my lifetime. My father had probably hadn't seen it in his lifetime. So it's it's a whole different beast out here in the Midwest when it comes to under center. See, you're so you're frightened into submission almost because you've seen how bad it can go. But like, don't you want that to end? Haven't you suffered enough? Put fields out there. You deserve good quarterback play. You deserve a guy that can go out there and compensate for when the perfect play isn't called or when the receiver runs maybe the wrong route or an offensive lineman gets beat. You need a guy that's going to be able to make up for that. Start Justin Fields. Otherwise, you're just guaranteeing yourself more of the same. I think we should end it on that note. That's a good one. You tell, Listen, I'm happy that we had to stage this intervention. Um, <laughs> I'm going to spread this to other Bears fans a lot. Yes. We do deserve what you just said. But it's hard, Rob. It's it's very hard. We've been told. If, listen, one day we'll have a discussion about Jay Cutler Day and the celebrations through the streets of Chicago. All right. I mean, there was a celebration. You were talking to people you did not know. Like, <laughs> we got Jay. Like, that's how huge Jay Cutler being traded here was. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, that I mean, and that's been that's been one of the biggest days. And listen, my last part of that. Halfway through that that season with Jay Cutler, and mind you, I loved him at Vandy. I, I wanted Jay Cutler. I was a Jay Cutler stand. Halfway through that season, I said, oh, my goodness, we got Jeff George. Right? <laughs> like, that's halfway through that season. It was like, oh, no, this isn't going to work. Right? Like, and again, I don't think that's going to happen here, and I don't think Bears fans think it's going to happen here. But it's also, you're looking at Justin Fields, and you're looking at for hopefully 15 years of him playing at a high level. And it's kind of like, why even rush it, particularly when we don't know the person who's supposed to help him along is going to be able to help him along. I guess it's kind of the reason for that hesitancy. But, I mean, doesn't Nagy have an incentive to play Fields? Because if he doesn't win this year, I feel like he's out. So he almost, he's got to throw Fields in there because he's his life support. He's his life preserver. Otherwise, he's getting canned. I'm, I'm with you, Rob. We'll, we will see, and I appreciate you joining us to talk about the 49ers, the NFC West, and the Chicago Bears. For everybody, make sure you check out his, his, his SB NFL Nation podcast, also Niners Nation. Follow him at Stats on Fire. Great content today, Rob. I really appreciate it. Have a terrific day, man. Oh, thank you. You too. Thanks for having me. Anytime. I look forward to talking to you down the line. Welcome to That David Show, and today I'm lucky enough to be joined by Matt Connor, the editor for Arrowhead Attic. Make sure you follow him at Matt Connor AA. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm well. I'm well. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and I was just telling you before, this has been one of my favorite teams from years past. Also, just to let you know, and I want you to spread this in Kansas City. Uh, about two, two and a half years ago, no, probably two, 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 yeah, two and a half years ago, I coined the phrase, and you just saw Matt use it, Baby goat for Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> I'm not lying. I have it on tape. If it's need, if the proof is needed to we'll show that, because I don't know if it's used over out in Kansas City. All right, it's, but when Matt, not, but yeah, okay, but when Matt did it, it was like, oh, okay, now you know, because it, it's traveling, <laughs> it's traveling. But that's around my shows. We usually refer to him as Baby Goat. All right, we'll take it. We'll take it. Okay. Like it. Okay. Okay. 
So listen, I want to start. I want to ask you this: uh, one of the better players on your team and on your defense, uh, Tyron Matthew. What's going on with his deal? I know that Brett Veach said definitely they want to keep him and Matthew wants to be there, but the money's not there. At the end of the season, with some of the money that are coming off the books, and of course signing Orlando Brown to an extension, will they be able to extend Tyron Matthew? Yeah, I I think they have to get real creative with Frank Clark. Uh, you know, Frank Clark is the cornerstone defensive end they brought over to really uh, kind of lead Steve Spagnolo's defense when they made the big switch a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the result was a Super Bowl um, and and two you know two consecutive Super Bowl runs. But um, you know, Clark, no player in football is more expensive of any non-quarterback than Frank Clark this year. And uh, he has a cap hit of like twenty five point eight million. It's crazy, and it goes up by it goes up by two million for each more season. So um, that contract has to be addressed. It's really silly. Only five players in football in general make more money than Frank Clark this year. Um, so they've got to address that um, in the offseason. Is he worth it? Is he worth that? That amount? no, no. I mean, uh, and and that's been the common complaint in Kansas City. Now, look, Clark is a machine in the playoffs, a machine. During the Super Bowl run, he had five sacks in three games. He had three sacks in three games last year. But during the regular season, it's kind of an inconsistent burst. Mm. So, you know, it's one of those, well, do you, you know, what do you trade for a Super Bowl? Every team tries to get there. You take your lumps with it. But um, look, Matthew says he wants to be there. Brett Veach says he wants him there. You know, if two people want to get married, they're going to get married and work out the particulars along the way. Um, the, the only downside is Matthew is an emotional vehicle for the Chiefs. So, um, you know, he's the kind of guy I think we both know people like this. It's like when they're in the room and excited and motivated, the whole room is charged. But, man, if they're not into it, it like it, it just it affects the whole room. And he's that kind of emotional lightning rod. And so if I'm Brett Veach, I don't want to play chicken with that kind of guy. I want to make Mm. sure he stays positive, motivated, you know, in that secondary. And if that means, you know, figuring out a way to pay him sooner than later, that's what I would do. Look, it's funny. Uh, Here in Chicago, we have Roquan Smith. And with the Colts, you had Leonard that just got signed that that nice contract for an interior linebacker, off-the-ball linebacker, right? When you saw that Jamal Adams deal, how did it make you feel knowing that the Kansas City Chiefs will probably have to match, if not top that, to keep uh, Matthew? Yeah, you know, the the hard part there with Tehran is that, um, you know, he's going to be 30 soon. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, he's about a year away from turning 30. And, of course, you know, we all – you know, I mean, if you're older than that in real life, it feels silly to say when you're 30, you're, you know, done. But, you know, like this is a young man's game. And and uh, so it's going to be hard. I I think Matthew will age well at the position. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think the Chiefs should be that um, frustrated by it. He's so cerebral as a player and smart and instinctual about what's happening that even if he lost some athleticism, his instincts would allow him to still – know what routes to jump, know what's coming, you know. And so I think that could help him age well with a deal. But, you know, yeah, uh, Jamal, (laughs) that Jamal deal is certainly expensive for his safety. There's few positions you can get by with actually going pretty cheap, and safety is one of them in the NFL. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch. 
Look, while we're on defense, and since, like I said, I have an affinity for the Chiefs organization, yeah. who's your favorite Chiefs defensive player of all time? Uh, I mean, you know, if you ever watch Derek Thomas play yeah. the game, uh, you know, seven sacks in one game, is that right, is the record? Yeah. And um, The bend on that man was ridiculous. The speed mean, and the bend, it was crazy. There's, there's been nothing like him at linebacker. I mean, ever. I, th- you know, I think he's maybe the best time, best all time linebacker. You know, I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime. Uh, you know, and then of course he's taken too early, which you know tends to make us remember right someone even more fondly when when you can read maybe further production into their career that wasn't really there. Right. Uh, I mean, he's on the all-time list for good reason. I'm not trying to say that we're remembering him more fondly than than he was, but but I think that only adds to the legacy that that he was taken earlier than. Uh, it's not like he fell off and and then you know kind of dangled in in the league for a couple of years. He was certainly a, a, an amazing force, that's for sure. Look, sticking with the edge, and this one is a down lineman instead of an edge rusher. Uh, what about Chris Jones playing the edge now since you, the team brought in Jared Reed? I know he's doing yoga and Pilates to talking about bending <laughs> to get that bend. Now, I know he's going to be moved around, but what do you expect to get out of him playing the edge? And also with him playing the edge, is this perhaps down the line saying that Frank Clark may not even be there and you're kind of looking to get some of that production out of Chris Jones? Could be. That's a great question. And I think I think Chiefs fans are waiting this season to see what those results will be and how that will work out. I'll say this. The Chiefs have two guys who have been complaining for years, wanting to do what they're doing right now. And Chris Jones is one of them. Chris Jones has said from the outset, I want to rush from the edge. I want to rush from the edge. But he's so good from the interior as a disruptor that, you know, that's what you go with. Um, and so this year the Chiefs are finally giving him what they want. And and so at, on that level, Chris Jones now has to follow through. It's like, all right, you've been talking big for years about right. wanting time on the edge. Now what are you going to do with it? Uh, and the other one is Orlando Brown on the other side. You know, he's like, I want to play left tackle. I want to play left tackle. The Chiefs trade for him, bring him in, put him at left tackle. It's like, all right, you've complained that. You want to follow in your dad's footsteps, be this franchise left tackle. Now go be go be what you say you want to be. So that's going to be big for both of these Chiefs linemen on both sides of the ball is, hey, you said you want it. Let's see what you've got. Matt Connor, editor of Arrowhead Attic. Follow him at Matt Connor AA. Uh, listen, I want to stay on Orlando Brown. Um, look. Again, I, I love me some Patrick Mahomes. All right. <laughs> Don't get a twist. I mean, I love, love me some Patrick Mahomes. All right. And uh, to see what happened at the Super Bowl with that offensive line, it was disrespectful in the streets, to say the least. To see my man having to, to rush backwards to another state, basically. Yeah. Uh, when you're bringing in an Orlando Brown Jr., who primarily played right tackle with the, the, the Baltimore Ravens until, of course, he switched it the last year there. But they're a run-heavy offense. And I know he wants to prove that he can be a pass blocker. But what are your expectations as far as him taking that role like you just said? You want it, now that you got it. And you're not just, you know, covering up for Joe Schmo. And, I mean, it's not to say he was covering up for Joe Schmo before for Lamar Jackson, but this is the league, basically, when you're talking about Patrick Mahomes. What are your expectations of what he can do at that 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 left tackle, especially thinking about the money he's going to get on this extension coming up? Right, right. You brought up all the same particulars that have us – <laughs> you know, watching very carefully 
can he can he make the switch? He's always said he wanted to make the switch. Credit to him that he filled in for Ronnie Stanley so well last year mm-hmm. when he was switched to the left side, and he won a Pro Bowl. You know, you can say what you want about the Pro Bowl and being a popularity contest, whatever. But Brown Brown's made it to the last three years. You know, the Chiefs chased Trent Williams very publicly, so he was clearly top of their list. But they also then went straight to Orlando Brown after that and traded a first-round pick to do it. If there's any question in my mind as to whether or not Brown can live up to these expectations, um, I'm not the guy whose job is on the line to make that call, right? So Hmm. in in a sense, I've got to trust that a Super Bowl-winning front office who they've put all their eggs in Orlando Brown basket. They got rid of a decent guy in Eric Fisher – they traded a first round pick to get him. They're they're clearly all in. So if if they're pushing their chips into the middle of the table on Orlando Brown, I've got to say any doubts I have are probably ill founded. And um, yeah, I, I, I think he's going to work out just fine. But it will be interesting to see that switch. And in, in you know Andy Reid is pass heavy man. So um, you know it's going to yes. it's one side to the other. But but he's up for the challenge. He says he loves it. By all accounts, he's doing great. Look, sticking with the offensive line, someone near and dear to us, our Bears fans' hearts, Cal Long went down early. You also have the return of Laurent Duvernay Tardif with a broken hand. Uh, how's that offensive line going to shake out from left tackle to right tackle? Who do you expect to be the starters when everyone is healthy? Yeah, uh, I think even when healthy, you're going to have um, two veteran studs on the left. You're going to have Orlando Brown. You're going to have Joe Tooney. Um, who was the big free agent splash acquisition there. And then you're going to have three rookies. You're going to have Creed Humphrey in the middle. He was their second round draft pick out of Oklahoma. You know, Creed's blocked for the best young quarterbacks in football, you know, coming out of Oklahoma, uh, right. you know, last three years. Um, and he didn't allow a sack the last two seasons at Oklahoma. So you got a great new guy in the middle. And then Trey Smith, they grabbed Trey Smith out of Tennessee in the sixth round. Um, who fell several rounds because of medical concerns. Mm-hmm. You know, Trey coming out of college, he came with with medical reports of he'd had some blood clot issues in his lungs in years past in Tennessee. So he was always this first or second round grade. And a lot of teams, because they couldn't get clear medical pictures in the pre-draft season because of COVID and all that stuff, right. it was hard to get up close. And unless you're going to sign off on a guy, you know, and clear his medical. So, the Chiefs took that chance in the sixth round, and I'm I'm telling you now, the guy's a total mauler. He he's he's better than any other rookie along the line, and he's a sixth rounder. Chris Jones came out yesterday. He's like, "Hey, Trey Smith is a total stud," mm. and um, so he's going to be a bruiser. Whether Kyle Long was healthy or not, whether uh, Duvernay Tardif was healthy or not, doesn't matter. Trey Smith locked that job down from the first part of training camp, and and looks the part. And then at right tackle, you have Lucas Niang, and he was a rookie they took in the third round last year, and he opted out. So he's back to fight for uh, Mitchell Schwartz's old spot on on the right-hand side, and I I think the rookie wins out. So I think it's going to be veteran, veteran, and then three rooks in week one against Miles Garrett and the Browns. It's going to be something to watch, that's for sure. Hey, you, you better protect baby goat. That's all I'm letting you guys know. The, the protection better be right for him because I would hate for something to happen for him. Getting away from the line and going out, 
Uh, Miko Hardman is going to have to step up now. And, and, and it's not that, like, Sammy Watkins was killing it, killing it. You know what I'm saying? But now you're, you're really depending on him to be that, 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 that number two receiver. What are your expectations of him this season? Uh, you know, it's anyone's guess, honestly. You know, Hardman says he's up for the job. The problem with Hardman is that he can't create much separation on his own. He's not physical. Route running is a little iffy. And so, you know, Hardman has world-class speed, mm-hmm. almost as good as Tyreek. And so if Andy Reid is creating plays for Hardman, he can he can be that threat, that great, you know, put him out in space, give him a, give him a deep target, you know, away, away from traffic, whatever. The problem is that the Chiefs need someone like Sammy Watkins who can be that, like, ex-physical receiver, create separation in traffic, you know, runs like a running back with the football once he's got it, you know. I mean, the problem was all the health concerns, you know, and so they let Watkins go and he went for one year, five million to the Ravens. I, I'm i going to miss him. I mean, you know, like, he, I mean, he, he wasn't healthy. That was really frustrating. But even having that option there just made defenses stay honest on Kelsey and Hill. I, Hardman's going to have a real tough time. Remember this. They drafted Hardman. Remember right before the draft two years ago, all those allegations came out about Tyreek Hill, right? Right. So right. no one even knew if he was even going to play another down of football at the time. Mm. And so the Chiefs trade up for really another Tyreek Hill. Now that Tyreek is still there and entrenched and even getting better to spot, Hardman kind of doesn't have room to do everything that Hardman could do, and he can't do what they need him to do. So it's an, it was an odd – you know, they had to protect – they had to get someone who could do that in case Tyreek can't do it, but now they've got a carbon copy. I don't mm. know what to do there. Would it be a guy that you could perhaps see in a mo- being moved later on? I mean, in the future? I think so. I, I think even if the Chiefs just let him leave, I think he'd be an, an amazing free agent gamble for another team to to bring in and and try to play that Tyreek Z role in a in a Reed style offense. Well, <coughs> apologies. Yeah. How is it? And you mentioned all the trouble and what happened with Tyreek Hill, the, the the abuse and everything you heard from college and then the stuff that, that happened when they were in the airport or whatever, when he was recorded. How is it? Is I, I, looking as a Bears fan and thinking about, for instance, at one point trading for Deshaun Watson, right? And it was like, you know what? I really don't want to do the Ben Roethlisberger thing when I'm rooting for somebody. And I'm not the type of person that likes to be in people's business, but there's some things that I won't say are unforgivable, but I don't, I don't want it. I would prefer if that wasn't on my team. How is it rooting for such a fantastic receiver who, like you said, you're talking about a track guy that you you that you're looking at as being kind of a gadget guy who's turned himself into an elite receiver, an undersized guy that high points the hell out of the ball, yeah. right? Like yeah. that's one of the crazy things. Like that, like he gets up to be undersized. It reminds me of Steve Smith Sr., you know what I'm saying, just have an undersized sure. receiver that you, you, you it, it's not a hindrance that he's short, you know what I'm saying, because how he can happen. But how is it to, I mean, root for him? Because he's a phenomenal player, to say the least. Yeah, well, I mean, those allegations were proven false, right? Okay. That, that his girlfriend was out to get him, extort him for money. I didn't know that. The, the, the Chiefs played it patient, which was really, at the time, they were – at the time, the franchise were, was taking hits 
for sticking by him when, you know, nowadays it's so common to, oh, here comes the PR issues and let's get rid of the guy and distance ourselves as much as possible. Remember the Chiefs went through that a few months before with Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt, yeah. And they cut him, they cut him as quickly as they could when they found out he was he's been lying to the team um, for a long time about his involvement and then a video proved otherwise. In this instance, the Chiefs chose to stick by him and they said, look, we're going to let this play out. I think the team knew all along that there were two sides to the story and that Tariq was intent on letting the legal process play out and, and get all their ducks in a row. And then when they did, if they found out that, that his at the time fiance had been trying to extort him because he knew she knew he was leaving her. Mm-hmm. And so she was trying to get her money while she could. Okay. And it turned into that whole situation. He does have a problematic background. He did get arrested in college. He went to prison and, or, and and served time for that. By all accounts, now he's a changed man. So um, so, yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's. Uh, so you don't think about it. Just forget. Like, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I do it, it at this point. Although I do think there's something yeah. to be said for you know for hey you know like um, employing character. These guys are role models, whether they want to be or not. And right. so, um, you know, I, I don't think it's unimportant. Um, in Tyreek's particular situation, I, I, I think the headlines got out in front of the reality. Got you. Uh, looking at the rest of the AFC West, I mean, usually when we do these previews, um, there's much to talk about, but there's really nothing to talk about since <laughs> Denver doesn't have a quarterback. And I mean, Justin Herbert's phenomenal, but I think that seems really maybe a season two away from threatening the Chiefs, if that. Um, but w- what's your forecast for the rest of the AFC West? Because I'm sure you have the Chiefs winning that division. Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, I, th- I think everyone has the Chiefs winning pretty easy money if you want to bet on, you know, on that one. <laughs> uh, I-, I will say, you know, the Chargers, you know, the Chargers lost by three in Justin Herbert's first game. Remember, it was going to be Tyrod Taylor. He gets injured and Herbert right. starts like right then and there immediately. And it's in week two and the Chargers only lose by three. And if I remember right, no, 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 that game, that game was LA. And then the Chargers won in the last game of the season, but that was when Andy Reid was resting all the starters. But uh, I mean, the Chargers looked downright dangerous last year, head to head. And I mean, I, like I don't believe that they're going to win, but I think they could be sneakily better. You know, if they protect Herbert, that's the deal, right? That O line has been atrocious. They invested in it for years, and they did invest in it. So, you know, if if Rayshon Slater, or some others can be, you know, what they need him to be up front. They got a new coach. I mean, there's just a lot of unknown variables there. They get Derwin James back in the secondary. I mean, that guy's a force. Right. Um, anytime you've got someone named Bosa up front, <laughs> you know, is, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be real interesting, I think. Look, I have three more questions, but I, I, I want to just get this one out the way. Yep. And I haven't asked anybody else this question because I don't think their team's necessarily going to make it to the Super Bowl. But what's your Super Bowl prediction since I think I'm a pencil in KC as the team coming from the AFC? I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think Kansas, I think the road runs through Kansas City. I think Aaron Rodgers in this final Green Bay season is just going to be a motivated man to watch. And I think he and Mahomes are the only two play. You know, football's a team game. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like an NBA in the NBA and maybe even Major League Baseball, it's more individual. One guy can carry the load, whatever. In football, I think that's impossible to do. Except when you have a quarterback who is who is so far beyond even other quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. I think Mahomes is that guy, and I think Aaron Rodgers is that guy. And I think Definitely. Aaron Rodgers is going to be a man possessed this year, and the Packers were already good. So it's kind of hard for me to to not pick those two teams to to go all the way. I, yeah, the Bucks. I'm just not in. I'm just not in. I, I think – I mean, I think they're good. I think they're very, very good. But, um, yeah, I'm going to go Packers-Chiefs. That's a good one. I would love to see uh, the – the original edition and the remix battle each other, basically. <laughs> uh, look, looking at how the Chiefs waited the season, really, we know he played the last game of the season, his second, his first year, Patrick Mahomes. How should the Bears go about uh, bringing Justin Fields along since Matt Nagy came, was with the Chiefs that season? And also, what are your thoughts on the Bears this upcoming season? Yeah, boy, that's a great question. That's a great question. I... Um, do you feel like the momentum is getting ahead of fields a little bit? I mean, you know, like the expectations, he, he even, even Trevor Lawrence has to be looking at Justin Fields going, gosh, how do you get all this press? Cause I'm, I'm like one, one over here, you know, first pick first round and, and, and no one's fawning over Trevor Lawrence, the way that everyone seems to be fawning over Justin Fields, let alone to be Zach Wilson or Trey Lance, or, you know, other guys who are even picked in front of him. So, yeah. You know, a little bit there is the Bears, you know, Bears have a little cachet in these streets, just right, so exactly, you know, yeah. exactly right. I I love the fit. I I loved watching Fields in college. I I think a lot of teams thought made it way too complicated and overthought. Hey, there's the guy. Go get him. You know, and and make it happen. Um, so I'd love to see it. I, but man, I. I, I mean, I'd throw him right in. Honestly, I'd throw him right Oof. in. Because, I, you know, I mean, how much do you want to watch Andy Dalton? How much does anyone want to watch Andy Dalton? Uh, yeah, I I think you can get away with that kind of like long torch passing when you have proven and stable leadership. Mm. And you can't say that about anyone in the Bears right now, right? I mean, uh, right. Yes, um, yes, yes. Facts. That's facts. No, you're not. You're not disrespecting anybody. That's yeah. That's facts yeah. right now. So you know, if um, a Belichick can do it, an Andy Reid can do it. You know, I, um, other than that, you know, the, the Green Bay got away with it when they switched from Favre to Rodgers. Right, and they're getting away with it right now. And they're getting away with it right now. Although they're also taking major PR hits and doing so because they're not even getting it right. So right. Rather than looking at the Chiefs as some model of how to do it, I think it's the anomaly. I think the Chiefs are, wow, that worked for them, and kudos to them for, you know, Alex Smith was a model citizen, knowing he was losing his job. Patrick Mahomes was a model citizen, even though he was waiting on a job. You know, Andy Reid, players, coach, I mean, all the planets aligned to make that happen. So, you know, I I just don't know that it's a, a mimicable model. Look, uh, I host the Bears podcast for NBC Source Chicago also. And I was on there and our Bears insider, Adam Hogue, we, we both we both realized that we had the same thought. He said he had talked about it in the past. But this one hit me a couple of days ago. Right. Knowing what we know about Patrick Mahomes. Right. In all fairness, shouldn't the Chiefs have just started him at the end of that rookie season? Because you probably have another Super Bowl by now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
I think I th- I think they were honoring Alex for a okay. season. I really do. Um, and you know, you've watched Alex be a pretty stand-up person in Washington. I mean, kind of wherever he's gone, he's been a civic leader, a team leader, whatever. And, and so he and Andy were pretty close. I, I I think it was an honoring Alex season. And I just you know, even if that cost him a win. I think it did. Oh, uh, yeah. You can't. Now, you can't give Super Bowls away for Alex Smith. And, I mean, now he was balling that year. But you can't give – I mean, because think about it. Now you've yep. been to two and you have one, but you could have been to three and had two. That sound, It sounds a lot better. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Who knows if they make the same decision in hindsight. But Alex got them all the way there. I think they were just riding the – I think they were just riding the train that got them there and honoring a guy in the same time. Matt, I definitely appreciate it. Everybody follow Matt at Matt Connor AA. Matt, you have a terrific day. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much for having me.